Good morning, Restoration. It's great to see you again. Um, I'm just so thankful that Katie and Mandy could fill in one week and um, our great friend Gabe Hernandez could do the second week um, while I took some time off. Um, I'm just so grateful for you as a church and missed you, um, missed teaching, um, but I'm really excited because today we're starting a series called A Colony of the King, and it's going to take us all the way through the fall. And it's, a, it's an important series. It's an important letter that we're going to study. It's the letter to the church in Philippi, uh, Philippians. And I think this is an important time to study this letter for us. And um, I think you'll see why in a little bit. So I'm going to pray and then we'll get started. Father, we um, recognize that this time, that this moment, that this season actually ahead of us in our world is uh, a time like no other. It's actually like no other time that I've experienced in my life. Um, and it's, it's a, it's a tricky time um, and an important time to figure out what it looks like to be your people, to follow you, to be the church. We are heading into a season of more virus and rest in our cities, in our world, an economy that... Um, is struggling and that people are struggling financially. Uh, decisions to make about schools and daily life and politics and contention. And so God, would you show us what it looks like to be a colony of the king? We pray these things in your name, amen. So I wanted to begin at a simple spot, um, hopefully you have read uh, the first chapter of Philippians, and I would encourage you as a church, um, as individuals or as a family unit to read, read the whole letter in its entirety. The letter was written to be read out loud uh, in, in a gathering of the people of God. And so what you need to understand is Philippians is a letter. It's not a book. It's not a sermon. Um, it's not a systematic theology. It's a letter. And it follows uh, what letters looked like in um, the ancient world, in uh, first century Rome. It was a standard letter. And we see evidence of that in a lot of the other letters that we found from that time. And there's a pattern to, uh, to letters sent between friends and between family. And what we need to understand is Paul, the Apostle Paul, um, is the author of the letter. And Paul is trained in something called Greco-Roman rhetoric. Greco-Roman rhetoric is a way of communicating. It's actually an art of communicating that that tends to 
help the, um, the speaker speak well. And, and for the speaker to arrange their thoughts uh, to persuade the hearer um, to come along with their way of thinking and their lifestyle. And in 14 AD, it became mandatory in the empire to learn rhetoric, that children were taught the art of speaking well, and they were taught to write, and some of them couldn't write, but uh, taught to communicate with rhetoric. And so there's a template for this, actually, that we've, uh, as scholars have uncovered this template, and it kind of goes in three parts. Uh, an ancient Near East letter, a first century letter, actually, is something that would start with an excursio, um, and that's this um, introduction of yourself, and, and you would break the ice and, and maybe do some thanksgivings and some, some warm sentiment to your hearer. Um, and then there's the noratio, which is the subject matter by which you want to talk about. And then there's something called the propositio. And the propositio was, this is where the thesis, if you're familiar with, uh, you know, Western writing, we would, we would use things like a thesis or a thesis statement. And that's what this is. It's a proposition. And so why this matters is when we put the letter of Philippians through the grid of Greco-Roman rhetoric, what we find is in the first chapter of Philippians, specifically verses 27 through 30, that is actually Paul's propositio. It's Paul's thesis statement. And, and this is what Paul is actually trying to communicate throughout the whole letter. It's like the main reason for him writing the letter. And everything else that he says in the letter points to this. And so basically what I'm telling you is of the four chapters of Philippians, um, if you were to understand verses 27 through 30 in chapter 1, you would understand what Paul is trying to say throughout the whole book. And then you're probably asking me, well, then, Ryan, why are we talking about Philippians for four months? Because what he says is really, really important. And it turns out it has everything to do with every area of our lives. And so I'm going to read verse 27 through 30 again for us. And um, it goes like this. Paul says, whatever happens... Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved and that, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. So Paul starts his propositio with the first command. And it's really, there hasn't been any commands up the first 26 verses, no commands. 
Then Paul gives his first command. He says, whatever happens, meaning this is the most important thing. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. That's, that's his big, big swing at a thesis statement. Now the phrase, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy, is actually just one word in Greek. It's polytuthene, and it's where we get the word politics. And basically, if you were to sum up, if you were to, um, many scholars have actually tried to, uh, tried to interpret this word into this phrase well, and it's tricky. But many scholars agree with this interpretation, to live as citizens of the gospel of the king. Okay, he says, whatever happens, whatever happens, live as citizens of the gospel of the king. Now, in order to get the full weight of that statement, we need to understand the world of Philippi. We've got to understand what, what their world was like, what their, their culture was like, what they thought, what they experienced. And so what I want to do is I want to just kind of paint a scenario for you. I want to paint um, a picture for you. And for some of you, it might be helpful to close your eyes, but just picture you are in a very dry, hot climate north of Greece. It's very rocky, but there's flowers um, all around and a, a breeze comes up in the afternoon, which it typically does because you're only eight miles from the coast. And so in the afternoon, a breeze comes to shore and you're in a walled city. You're in a walled city that's not too big, but there's there's tens of thousands of people there, and you're crammed in to this city. And what's amazing is that there's armed Roman soldiers everywhere, everywhere you look. And everywhere you look, there are statues to Caesar. There are statues to uh, the pantheon of gods, uh, Zeus and uh, Poseidon and all of these different gods. And right in the middle of Philippi, there's a temple to Caesar. It is the biggest temple in Philippi. And it's different than Ephesus and some of these other cities that have a, uh, a temple to Artemis and other gods. In Philippi, the biggest temple is to Caesar. And you're on your way to a wealthy businesswoman's house. Her name is Lydia. And all sorts of people are gonna gather at Lydia's house. Jewish people, Romans, Greeks, barbarians, people who uh, live tribally in northern parts, typically of the empire. Um, wealthy people, 
poor people, people who are within the slave structure of Rome, which some scholars believe there's 50% of the Roman population was in slavery. Men and women, everybody. There's just this really diverse group of people and they're, we're all going to Lydia's house and we gather in an open air courtyard, big courtyard. And you've been looking forward to it all week long. But this week is special because you know that there's a letter from Paul. And you know Paul. And you love Paul. And you've met Paul. And they start reading the letter from Paul. And you've heard uh, rumors of where Paul is. And it turns out he is in prison in Rome. And then you start to get a little nervous because as they're reading this letter out loud in this open air courtyard, you hear language that makes you nervous. You hear things like Jesus being called the king and Jesus being called the Kyrios or the Lord. And then you get to verse 27 in our Bibles, but there was no verse numbers for them. It was just a letter. You get to this line that says, live as citizens of the gospel of the king. And you start to get really nervous. And Paul has already used the gospel three times, the word gospel. And it scares you to death because that's not something you say out loud. That's not something you say in an open air courtyard in the middle of a colony of Rome. And so that kind of language could get you put in prison and it could get you killed. And here you are meeting at Lydia's house and this letter is being read out loud. Now, two things to remember about scripture, and we talk about this a lot, and so I just wanna remind us. First of all, anybody can pick up the Bible. Anybody could pick up scripture and learn. Uh, you don't need a fancy degree. You don't need a seminary degree. Um, turns out that the Holy Spirit uh, does a work. And whether you're, uh, you've begun to follow Jesus and uh, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, uh, which is, it's an amazing thing that the God of the universe who made you speaks inside of you as you read scripture. It's very powerful. Um, or maybe the first time and you, you've never known Jesus, but these words are just starting to hit you, come off the page. I'm encouraging you, church, read scripture. Like read it together, read it, make it a priority. I know sometimes it becomes something that's hard and dry and things like that, but the spirit works through us, works in us and to, to bring to light uh, what the scriptures mean and what it means for us. But the second thing I would say is scripture was written to them before it was written to us. Now, this is super important. Uh, at the beginning of the letter, it starts off, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. So, turns out this letter was written to the people in Philippi over 2,000 years ago. 
And uh, it didn't say to all of God's people living in 2020 Arvada. Now, we're separated by about 2,000 years of, of language and culture and geography and so much. First thing we need to understand is what did it mean to them before we ask what does it mean to us? And that's going to be our conversation for the next number of months. What does it mean to them before what it means to us? I mean, this is hermeneutics 101. Um, this is studying scripture 101. And so in order to do that, we need to have a little bit of background. And you knew this was coming. Um, we do a lot of background at the beginning of teaching around a certain book, or in this case, a letter. So four pieces of background. I just put up two fingers, but four pieces of background. Empire, Caesar, uh, gospel, and colony. The first one, empire. We're going to go through these really quick. The Roman Empire extended at this time from England, what we know as England, all the way to Italy. Huge amount of land. Huge amount of blood spilt to make that happen. Um, Rome was a global military superpower prophesied in the book of Daniel. Um, you can read a lot of history on Rome. We have a lot of Roman um, history and culture and a worldview within our own culture. Uh, Pax Romana is this idea of the peace of Rome. And really what this meant is peace through strength. Uh, and you've probably heard that in, a, in some of our American um, our American um, world policies, you know, peace through victory at the edge of the sword. And so it, it was a good thing for those who were on the right side of the sword. Uh, and it was good news for you. But for those on the outside of the empire, it, it, it was a little bit uh, scarier. <laughs> it wasn't peace necessarily. And for those on the inside of the empire, it was the best thing to happen in the world. And so what you got with Rome uh, was, and Roman uh, society was an infrastructure. Uh, they built ro roads for trade, uh, culture, a law and order. Um, and, and there was this um, celebration that they brought the end of rampant wars and unified a huge group of people. So that's a little background on Rome. Superpower, heavy military. Now, Caesar. Caesar was uh, just a king at the beginning. Uh, Caesar was um, your normal human leader. Um, and then, I don't know if you remember from your sophomore year in high school, but Julius Caesar gets assassinated. And his adopted son, Octavian, on the one-year anniversary of Julius Caesar's um, assassination, there was a comet in the sky at night. And um, Octavian took this as a, as a political opportunity. And he says, look, the comet is proof that Julius was divine and, and he, that he's ascending to the right hand of Zeus. And so... 
typically how this works is if your dad was a god, people started calling you son of God. And so we see this on coins and um, all throughout archaeological digs. Uh, Caesar Nero, and we believe is on the throne when Paul writes this letter to Philippi, um, called himself, his favorite titles for himself were Lord and Savior. Um, he would say things like, there is no other name under heaven by which people can be saved other than Caesar. And, and, and the famous phrase, Caesar is Lord. I don't know if any of this sounds like wildly familiar to some of the language that Jesus adopts and the, and the New Testament church adopts. Then there's the word gospel. And we've talked about this before, so this is very brief. Um, it's the Greek word euangelion, which means good news. Uh, it's where we get the word evangelical, which to many people in our world sounds like bad news, unfortunately. And um, long before it was a Christian word, um, it was a Roman word. And, and it meant that when there was news to proclaim to the empire, uh, specifically the winning of a battle or the announcement of a new Caesar, they would send heralds to all parts of the empire from England to India, and they would say, good news, Augustus Caesar is Lord or Caesar Nero is Lord. And it was a cause of celebration and uh, they would uh, celebrate and they would worship Caesar. And so the gospel, what the gospel is, what uh, the word gospel means is a royal announcement, okay, about a king coming to power. Now, it's really important that we get that because we're going to talk about that here in a little bit, what that really means. But a royal announcement about a king coming to power. And then the last but not least, we're going to talk about what a colony is. Because a colony is different. So Thessalonica, Ephesus, uh, all the Athens, these are not colonies. These are cities. Philippi is a colony, and that's an enormous difference than a city in Rome. So a city outside of Rome that is granted uh, colony status was basically given the exact same legal status as Rome. So people who were citizens, who were from Philippi, who were in Philippi, were actually granted Roman citizenship. They were exempt from taxes, which would be sweet, and they were covered under Roman law, which is also a good thing for them. Um, and not all cities were like this. So what happens is they, would, they were finding places um, as veterans of the military would, uh, in a sense, age out. They were trying to find places where they could uh, give these Roman veterans uh, land and a place to live for the rest of their lives, knowing that they would uphold Roman culture because they fought for Rome all over. And so there was fierce, every, anywhere there was a colony, there was fierce loyalty uh, to the emperor, to the Caesar. 
And Caesar not only granted you citizenship, but it was viewed um, as salvation. And so a citizen, the duty of a citizen of Rome, uh, the duty of those who lived in a Roman colony was to bring Roman culture to bear on the region around Philippi. So they were a colony of Rome, meaning they were basically an extension of Rome all the way east in the empire. Their goal was to Romanize the world, to bring Rome to the region around Philippi, if that makes sense. So what does all that mean? Well, back up one more time to verse 27, which is Paul's propitio. It's his thesis. He says, whatever happens, live as citizens of the gospel of the king. What does he mean by that? What is he up to? He's, he's saying, Paul is saying that for the Philippians, for you and me by extension, to live as citizens of an alternative empire. Call, Paul is actually calling them to an alternative Lord, an alternative savior, other than Caesar, other than at the time Nero. Meaning, See, he's actually saying in this letter something really treasonous. He's actually saying that Caesar's an imposter, Lord. Acts 17.7, we see um, some of this working behind the scenes in the history of how these churches got planted. And there's a verse uh, that explains kind of the charge that some of the followers of Jesus got. He says this, they are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king one called Jesus. I mean, this is really treasonous, scandalous stuff. There is another king. There is another Lord. There is another savior. There's another salvation. And so Paul is calling the Philippians to an alternative gospel, an alternative royal announcement. Okay. And if we're going to be, if we're going to be talking about Philippians the rest of the year, here's the thing. We're going to be talking about the gospel for the rest of the year. And it, and it permeates everything in our lives. But there's a difference, and here's the, this is so important for us to get. There's a difference between what most people mean by the gospel today and what Paul means by the gospel. And I'm going to try to explain this as best as I can, but most people, when they think of the gospel today, they conflate it with salvation. Okay. And there's this national organization that does training for um, high school students to share their faith. And it's, uh, it's a great thing to do, uh, to learn how to communicate your faith. And, but the problem is, is they conflate the two. They conflate salvation and the gospel. And the standard gospel, the one that you and I are used to um, uh, understanding, it goes something like this. Jesus died on, on the cross for your sins. Um, and uh, Jesus lived a sinless life. And if you believe by grace through faith um, uh, and, and not by anything you do, so not by works, um, th that uh, you will experience God's saving uh, grace and you will go to heaven when you die. Um, now, we've talked about this before. Um, I'm, I, I, I believe all of that, okay? 
Um, I just wouldn't say it like that. I think there's a, a lot to be said about the word resurrection and uh, what God is doing in the here and now. Um, but this is N.T. Wright. And N.T. Wright uh, writes about this conflation between salvation and gospel. He says this, I am perfectly comfortable with what people normally mean when they say the gospel. So he says, I'm perfectly comfortable with what people normally mean when they say the gospel. I just don't think it's what Paul means. In other words, I'm not denying that the usual meanings are things that people ought to say to preach about, to believe. I simply wouldn't use the word gospel to denote those things. So what Paul, what, what N.T. Wright's saying is, is it's good to talk about Jesus dying for us. It's good to talk about salvation and grace and forgiveness and, and what heaven will be like and what resurrection is. It's good to talk about all those things. N.T. Wright's saying that that's good stuff. It's just not what Paul means by the gospel. What Paul means by the gospel, so here's what sparks the question, what does the gospel mean? Paul means the gospel is the royal announcement that Jesus is Lord, period. It's the announcement. It's the good news, or to put it another way, the good news that the crucified Messiah is the risen Lord of the universe, and that is the gospel, and, and that's why Paul is in prison. And that's why Paul is in prison while writing this letter. And, and why? Because he says that Jesus died for his sins? No. It's because Paul said Jesus is Lord. And the standard gospel does not get you put in prison in Paul's day. Nobody had a problem with Jesus in Paul's world. Nobody had a problem. They, they worshiped multiple gods. Uh, so why not throw another one in, right? Um, and so you can be saved and go to heaven when you die could have been a, a great little phrase uh, during Paul's day. And people would have been like, that sounds good. I'll add that to Poseidon and, um, and uh, uh, Artemis and all these different things that I draw um, benefit from. But as long as you don't mess with Caesar, as long as you don't mess with the system of Rome, and the system of Rome being slavery, being um, emperor worship, being um, uh, believing that Rome is the greatest, as long as you don't mess with that stuff, yeah, I'll take some Jesus. You don't get put into prison in Paul's day, for justification by faith. And you don't get put in a prison for that. But if you stand up and say, Jesus is Lord and not Caesar, or if you stand up and say something like Paul says in Philippians 2.10, that one day every knee will bow, Every knee means every knee. And that means Nero's knee. And that's treason. That's blasphemy. 
And it was read, this letter, guys, this letter was read out loud in an open-air courtyard in the middle of a colony of Rome. And that's the gospel of Jesus. Paul is calling this little fledgling, diverse, mishmash group of people to an alternative colony, to an alternative Lord, to be an outpost for the kingdom of God. And, and, and I think that sometimes one of the most uh, misused and misinterpreted things in the book of Philippians is this idea of living as citizens of heaven. And sometimes what that means uh, for some of us, we interpret that or we internalize that as thinking, uh, we are, uh, we're not of this world, we're some, for some, from somewhere else. Um, so uh, detach, mentally detached, physically even detach, and pull away because one day we're gonna go to heaven when we die. And this is complete misinterpretation of what Paul means by being an outpost, being a citizen of heaven. Paul is not saying to detach from the here and now. He's not saying to detach and wait for the future. Remember, the idea of a colony in Roman culture was to bring Rome into that world. And so he wants them to be a colony. Paul wants the people of Philippi to be a colony of the rule and the reign of God in the here and now, in the midst of where they live. He wants them to heavenize the world. He wants them to take seriously the prayer of Jesus that says, on earth as it is in heaven. He wants them to bring mercy and kindness and shalom to bear on this world right now. And that is why we exist together. A colony of the king, a colony of heaven on earth. And, and, and his propitio, his thesis Live as citizens of the gospel of the king. Live as citizens of the good news of the rule and the reign of Jesus. Uh, another interpretation of this verse goes like this. The one thing I would stress is this. Your public behavior must match up to the gospel of the king. Live as citizens of the gospel of the king. Now the question becomes how? What does that look like? What does that look like for us, 2020, pandemic, politics, masks shaming, all the fun stuff, right? All this super fun stuff. Oh. In American Christianity, Jesus is mostly seen as a life coach or a therapist. Jesus is in addition to the many pantheon of gods that we tend to worship. The many gospels that we tend to herald. Paul uses two metaphors in this. And I'm running long, so I'm so sorry, but this is super important. Paul uses two metaphors. He uses a military metaphor and an athletic metaphor. And if you go back and look, he uses words like stand firm, shoulder to shoulder, striving together. Um, that is how you live as the gospel of the king. These are all word pictures of military image. And basically what he's saying is two things. One, living out the gospel happens in community. It happens in community. 
It's this idea of locking arms, uh, that you're not a lone ranger, uh, that an army fights together um, and interlocks its shields together. That's the idea, that you cannot follow Jesus alone, that you cannot announce the lordship of Jesus, that Jesus is king and not Caesar. You can't do that alone. The second thing is that living out the gospel is hard. It's hard. And that's when he uses the athletic language about um, at pushing and persevering and running a race and all of that. Um, that's why Jesus uses language like come and die and pick up your cross uh, because nothing good is worth, uh, nothing easy is worthwhile. I mean, nothing really good is easy ultimately. And that's what this whole thing is. So the two questions I have for us as we start this long journey talking about the gospel, talking about uh, this letter, all the implications of that for us in the here and now is this. What gospel do you believe? What gospel do you believe? There are a lot of gospels. There is the gospel of marriage that we hear a lot in, especially Christian churches. Um, that this, uh, this marriage uh, thing <laughs> will complete you, will make you feel better, will make you the person that God wants you to be. Um, and so a lot of people put their whole trust and belief in marriage. Some people believe um, in the gospel of finances. Um, and I would say, especially in the church. And I'm going to say a few things that will make you very mad at me. People ask me all the time, hey, Ryan, why don't we do the Dave Ramsey Financial Peace University study at our church? He's great, and he's a Christian. Um, the reason why we don't do the Dave Ramsey study is it's an alternative gospel. And I'm totally making some of you mad right now. <laughs> But it's an alternative gospel. Basically, the study is, and, and there's some really good, um, uh, uh, there's some um, pieces of it that are sound uh, with wisdom and things like that. But the idea really behind it is um, manage your money. Uh, here's what I said, your money. And, um, and, give, and give God 10% of your money. Um, but you're the Lord of the rest of it. And this is nowhere in the language of Paul or Jesus. Um, and so I, and you're like, but he's a Christian. And guys, I'm, 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 <laughs> you have to be really careful. It's like the Tommy boy line. I can put anything in a box and put Christian on it. It doesn't mean that it's Christian, okay? It doesn't mean that it's following Jesus. I know I'm gonna get emails. Um, you can believe in the gospel of the democratic uh, platform this year. You could believe in the gospel of the Trump platform this year. These are all alternative gospels. Um, you could believe in a whole bunch of gospels at the same time. But Jesus is Lord. And so what Paul is saying, he's, he's actually in, uh, in letter form standing up in front of the people in a colony of Rome and saying, Jesus is Lord and Caesar is not. 
And so my question is, what gospel do you believe? What gospel is screaming in your ears right now and you're failing to hear what the real gospel is? The second question I have is you, what Lord do you worship? And I know that sounds like a little bit like the first question, uh, but uh, it might be the outdoor lifestyle. Uh, do you worship the outdoor lifestyle or Jesus? Do you worship money or Jesus? Uh, do, you, do you worship yourself or Jesus? Uh, who's in control of your life? Who, who's running this? Um, the, the American church construct is that Jesus works for us. <laughs> and it's just not like Jesus is like going to hook me up with stuff. Um, but the idea in Philippians is that every knee will bow. Um, and so my, my prayer for us, Restoration, is that we would just start bowing now. That, that if every knee will bow, let's start the bowing now. Let's be a colony of the king. And, and let's help each other figure out what gospels we're believing and what lords were worshiping and let's figure this out now let's use this opportunity in the midst of this pandemic and how everything's unsettled and we've got to wrestle with what's normal and what we miss and what we wish for and what we hope doesn't happen let's wrestle with all this now let's be a colony of the king let's pray father thank you for this morning thank you for our house churches Thank you for those who are willing to jump on the Zoom call and connect and, 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 and discuss and wrestle with some of this material. Uh, God, show us in, the, in this series, in the next few weeks and days and moments, what, what is out of shape in our lives? What is out of uh, worship order in our lives? What, what are our disordered loves? What are we missing? God, we want to be a colony of the king. We want to be the ones that show the world through our tenderness and our mercy and our love and our sacrifice and our genuine love for each other and our care. Let it, we want to show the world what heaven is like, what the perfect rule and reign of God is like. We pray these things in the name of your son who brought it to us, who announced the kingdom of God is at hand. Amen.